We're podcasting from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. I'm Public Affairs Officer Taylor Henry. And today I'm talking with Father Matthew Polakowski, the one of the chaplains, one of our chaplains up at the Military Academy at West Point. Welcome, Father. It's great to be here, Taylor. And Father, tell me about your ministry at West Point. Uh, you uh, have... Uh, for one thing, an intelligent flock. I'm sure any of the any of the cadets who are admitted to West Point would be a, a cut above, uh, uh, several cuts above average intelligence. And so, um, tell me about that. Tell me about your ministry there. Well, the ministry there is uh, to the cadets and also all the staff and faculty. Uh, and again, above the cut in terms of intelligence and you know just go get it kind of stuff. Um, it's really a great place to be. The, uh, I'm, I'm very proud right now of, I, I can name several, but I'll just name two of my own classmates. Um, Mark Esper is currently the Secretary of the Army, and uh, Mike Pompeo is currently the Director of the CIA. So these are national leaders for us, but because we're the leader of the world, these are world leaders, and they're classmates of mine. But then I look at our cadets and also our staff and faculty, and I, I think, you know, who... 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll be in those same positions. So anything we can do to help strengthen people's spiritual life starts to have an effect on our army, our country, and our world. So my job is I'm currently the Usman chaplain, the command chaplain. So I'm the senior chaplain for all of West Point uh, over the entire religious program. The other priest that works with me is Father Sean Magnuson. He's the Catholic pastor, so he's in charge of Most Holy Trinity Parish. Uh, I'm the senior chaplain, so it's it's an interesting relationship. In one sense, he works for me as the senior chaplain, but then I work for him because he's the pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm like his weekend assistant. <laughs> um, but um, but we're not we're not just focused on influencing our Catholic cadets, although that's our primary job as priests, right? But really to influence everyone. And I've had the the pleasure of some people just walking up to me, cadets, um, and not Catholic cadets, just coming up sort of after an event or something, very just quickly saying, hey, sir, really appreciate what you do. And I think what they're getting at is just sort of the way I pray at events or the, the tone I take and the way I go about business is um, unapologetic. It's It's not offensive. I don't go out of my way to be offensive to anyone, but... Um, it's, it's just good, solid prayer and it's, um, courageous in the sense that we're dealing with a culture now that can be very hostile to religion. Um, so, so not just our Catholic cadets, but other people that are encouraged in their faith or encouraged to to exercise their faith in a military environment. Did you go through West Point yourself? I did. I'm a graduate. I'm the class of 1986. Our motto is courage never quits and we love it. <laughs> and did you go into the army before you became a army chaplain? No, I was um, I was in high school looking at uh, colleges to go to, and I, I was already thinking about priesthood as a, as a strong possibility for my life vocation. And I considered several colleges, a lot of colleges actually, and uh, they all bored me honestly. And I looked at Notre Dame and Georgetown and Boston College, and so no slur to any of them, but they just did not interest me, and I got a little distressed. And then. I didn't even really know about the service academies. And then there was a recruiter, a cadet recruiter that came around with a videotape and 
that's the first time I learned about West Point and the Air Force Academy in Annapolis. And, and I got very excited. Those were the only things that held my interest. So that was sort of how God led me into the academies, which was a bit mysterious to me at the time. Um, but that's where I went and graduated from there. I, uh, I served in, when I was commissioned, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant, then served in the infantry, the Army infantry, for six years and a few months before I got out and went to seminary. So uh, tell me about the process of uh, getting this uh, very prestigious military education, and then you went to seminary afterward. What was that like? Actually, it's funny. It was spooky because seminary was eerily similar to West Point. And at first I thought it was just two similar organizations that are going to have you know, somewhat similar formation programs. But so many things started to resonate that I said there's got to be something more than, than just that. There has to be some kind of concrete historical link. And I asked about that for years. Uh, I pointed that out to people and said there's really some strong similarities. And I'm not a historian to do that kind of search. So I kept mentioning it to historians to see if they'd be interested in researching it. So Cardinal O'Brien actually was the first one to say, oh, yeah, there's a connection. Uh, Sylvanus Thayer, who's the father of the military academy, um, when he was in France back in the early 1800s looking for mathematical and engineering textbooks, he visited the Grand Seminary of the Sulpicians, and he took their formation program. So that was, that was the first thing I had ever heard connecting it. So that was exciting to me. And then uh, a few years ago, I was at a seminary out in St. Patrick's in Menlo Park, which has Sulpician teachers. And I, I mentioned this to them. And they said, well, of course, everybody knows that. <laughs> I said, no, everybody does not know that. He says, every Sulpician knows it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he also said where the records could be to go research that. So I've suggested that to some historians as well. But nobody's picked it up yet. But I think it'll be a great master's or doctor thesis for somebody eventually. But that was, um, it, was it was very... Um, I really consider West Point my pre-seminary, that God was using that to shape me and form me. John Paul II, when he wrote about the pillars of formation in, in priestly identity, the very first one is human formation. And I think God used West Point and the Army for my own human formation. And I personally think God uses the Army for a lot of people's human formation. Yeah, I can certainly see that uh, the Army, the priesthood, uh you know, there's a certain amount of discipline in both, uh, formation. Um, what else? What are, what are some of the other similarities? Would you I, say? Think, I think something else that the Army does, and I saw this when I was a basic training executive officer. So I was the uh, second in command of a, of a boot camp company uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia. And I worked with an excellent commander and uh, excellent drill sergeants. And something that I saw there time and time again was, you know, our, our young people from all across America being pulled from all sorts of different backgrounds. And some of our guys uh, in the military, and especially those guys going into the infantry, they, they had some pretty rough and hard backgrounds. And then when they got to basic training with the drill sergeants, I think it was the first time that they really started to experience real, strong, caring, fatherly love that, you know, for all the way Hollywood wants to paint the military and sometimes they get pieces of it, right? But they get a lot of things wrong. They, they, they're, it's hyperbolic. They exaggerate. But to see drill sergeants who just 
cared about these guys and they cared by demanding that they do the right thing, demanding that they rise to a certain standard. It was really, I was only 24 or 25 when I was watching this happen. It was really fascinating to me to, to see the immediate response the guys had. I mean, some guys, some guys had never worn shoes before. One guy was still a bedwetter at age 18 and the drill sergeant fixed it in two weeks. Right, you know, so, so just, just guys beginning to encounter that kind of care, just basic care. You know, so sometimes our drill sergeants get this bad rap in the, uh, the movies, but they're really, they're really pretty fantastic for the most part. They do a great job. I suppose another great similarity between the priesthood and the military would be service. It's all about service. Absolutely. In fact, in my own discernment, when I was thinking, when I was wrestling what college to go to, I just didn't see how the military was going to work out with the priesthood. And I spoke to a spiritual director who ended up becoming my first pastor when I was a newly ordained priest. And, and he said to me as a senior in high school, well, priesthood in the church or service in the military, either way, you're both serving something greater than yourself and a good cause. So if your heart's really pursuing service, you're probably safe pursuing that, which I thought was really wise spiritual guidance. But th- that's exactly true. That one reason I really admire, and I say this to our, our basic training soldiers, I say this to our cadets, how much I admire their stepping forward to serve something other than themselves, which is great in any age, but especially great and much needed today. So, yeah, that's a, that's a major feature. In fact, the military is called the service, right? Of course, so. right. Exactly. And uh, you serve in an academic setting where a lot of young people are in stages of their lives where they're doing a lot of thinking. And does uh, does it ever come up uh, philosophical questions? Uh, uh, do you encounter uh, officers-to-be uh, struggling with the idea of the existence of God or whether or not... Uh, you know whether or not uh, the, the, their religion is Christian or Catholic, or any of those kinds of conversations ever come up. Sure, those conversations are there, there's really the whole spectrum of that. So as as one of the Catholic priests, I mean, there's a core group of our cadets that are very devout Catholics and very much involved and in striving to live their their Catholic faith and really really the pursuit of holiness. Really, straight. in fact, there's a group of them right now that are seniors. Uh, they refer to themselves as the saint squad. Not that, uh, not that they think they're saints, but that's their goal, to be saints. That's pretty cool to have a group of folks like that. Um, there's other folks. One of the things I've always loved about the military, I've, I've, I've had this great exposure to other Christians who are not Catholic or Protestant Christians who have great zeal uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and a great love for him, and they're not afraid to demonstrate it. Uh, and with many of them, I have great relationships and we're able to open up discussions about uh, Catholic view of the faith, other views of the faith. Um, there's, through the years, there's been people that have come into the Catholic faith that I've just been able to influence in some way God's used me, which was a, a great thing. Um, there's, a, there's a group at West Point, uh, the Secular Students Alliance, uh, and last year I made a point of, uh, I just had an opportunity and then made a point of uh, really establishing a relationship with uh, the cadet 
leader of that group and inviting him and some of his friends over for dinner just to open up conversations. And, and you know, coming into my house, by the way, is my life is on display on the walls, you know, everything around you. Like, so you can't be in my house and not be confronted with a Catholic faith. Uh, so, um, so, but that was great. It just, it just started very easy conversations that look around and ask about things. And, you know, it, it would start natural conversations. So one of the conversations that comes up with Catholics who are not affiliated with the military is how do you justify a, uh, a teaching, the teaching of Christ, a teaching of peace in a setting where you have trained professionals who are trained to wage war? How, how, do, you make, how do you make those those two values mix. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach that, but the way that I've always used myself and it's just the clearest in my own mind, um, everybody always has a right to self-defense. We can choose to sacrifice our lives. That's heroic charity. You know, rather than harming another, the, the way of pacifism. And the catechism talks about that, that pacifism is a legitimate way of living out the Christian life, and it's a higher way. Um, but everybody does not have to do it. It's not a moral requirement that I'm always allowed to defend my life if my life is threatened. And so, based on that moral principle, not only am I allowed to defend my life, but I have a moral obligation to protect other people's lives whose, whose lives are threatened especially if they cannot protect themselves. That's not just, I'm allowed to, I must do that. And so that's the basis for our police and our military. In my mind, our military is just the big police. You know, the police forces are local police, and the military is our big police. And uh, we do these things not because, not out of any hatred for people that oppose us or that are doing wrong, but really out of love for our community, whether it's our local community or our national community. So in my mind, uh, the military properly lived, the military at its best, and especially the military with the leaven of Christianity in, in it, is an expression of the commandment of love. Uh, I am willing to lay down my life for those people behind me. And so, so to me, that's, that's always been my own thinking. Uh, it's relatively clear. So, I mean, other people... They can wrestle with it. There's other ways to express it, but for me, that's always been the easiest. Well, you certainly can find a lot of military figures from the beginning of Christianity, beginning with the centurion, um, uh, the founder of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius of Loyola, was a, was a warrior, all the way up through Father uh, Capadano, who we, uh, uh, whose uh, heroic sacrifice in Vietnam we celebrate every year uh, with the memorial mass to him. Um, where were you before you uh, came back to West Point as a chaplain? You, 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 were, you graduated from West Point, then went to seminary. You were ordained where? Uh, I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey, and so I was ordained uh, through the seminary at Seton Hall University and spent three years in New Jersey uh, at St. Thomas the Apostle in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And then I started my time as a chaplain in July of 2000. And so that was uh, right before the uh, right before 9/11. Right before 9/11. In fact, 
I was here in Washington, D.C. the morning of 9-11 at a AMS convocation. And we were over at the, uh, the retreat house right next to the John Paul II Cultural Center. And the, the topic for the day was what looked like was going to be a fantastic presentation on the RCIA and the catechumenate. And I was very excited about it. And we had a speaker that was already up talking. And I, I was quite enthused. And I was sitting in the back of the room, and uh, uh, one of the priests came in and said, oh, a plane just uh, flew into the World Trade Center. And I think, like most other people, I had this picture of a Cessna in my head in some kind of accident. And then 15, 18 minutes later, the uh, same priest came in and said, another plane flew into the World Trade Center. And then we knew there was something going on. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember clearly uh, being here with some friends, and several of us were in uh, rapid deployment units that, we just stood up and said, we need to get back because our units could be leaving in 18 hours. And where was your unit at the time? I was at Fort Bragg with the 82nd Airborne Division. I was part of the division artillery. And part of their mission is to be able to be ready to deploy in 18 hours. So I had this idea in my head that I'd be able to go back out to my car and get my car and drive down to Fort Bragg in 10 hours like I could typically do. But that's not what happened that day. So <laughs> the roads were just packed everywhere. So You took a plane. <laughs> no. Well, you couldn't take a plane. No, I, yeah, no, no, no planes. Um, it just took a long, long time to get back. I see. Yeah. Uh, and from that time on, uh, share with me some of your deployments, your assignments. Where have you been? Sure. So <clears throat> I was at Fort Bragg, and uh, that's North Carolina. That We went to the chaplain school down at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I actually took a cooking course on the side, which was a lot of fun. Um, but then after that, uh, I was assigned to the Multinational Force of Observers, which is a peacekeeping mission in Sinai, Egypt. They sit on the border between Egypt and Israel uh, and just help those two countries stay at peace by invitation from those two countries. So it's not a UN mission, just to be clear about that. It's a very, it's a, uh, an organization created specifically for that mission. So I was there for 19 months, and I got to lead pilgrimages to Mount Sinai and Cairo and into Israel. It was a fantastic job. I had a great chaplain assistant. And I was, bet. What is, uh, what is it like on top of Mount Sinai? Did you go to the top? Well, the air is crystal clear. The, uh, Mount Sinai is a bit like uh, our American Southwest. It's uh, quite a bit like Arizona. Mount Sinai in the desert, the air is so clean that they, they actually have an observatory, not on Mount Sinai, but in a nearby mountain um, for that. But uh, we would uh, the trip we would lead would be a camping trip where we'd hike the mountain. We'd hike up the mountain, camp near the crest. There was a Bedouin uh, family that we had linked up with, and they would have a hot meal waiting for us that they cooked on the mountain. And then I would give some people some quiet time. This is what this is one of my favorite parts of the trip. I'd tell everybody, go take an hour and be quiet. And again, it's like the Grand Canyon. It's silent. So most people never get that. And a lot of these people that were largely unchurched would come back to me either that day or sometime later and say, you know what, Padre? God spoke to me on that mountain. Um, <laughs> and I think when, I think God does speak to us, but we're so busy, our world is so noisy. So that was a great part of the trip, just to give, just to give people that gift of some silence. What are the Bedouin, what kind of diet do they eat? What sort of food the, do they um, The Bedouin tribe there is the Bedouins of Sinai, and they're very proud of the fact that they're the tribe that has been associated with Sinai. Uh, they're Muslim, so they, they eat a halal uh, diet. But uh, So they would cook us um, grilled chicken. There's always, in Egypt, there's always a cucumber and tomato salad. 
<laughs> so that's 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 everywhere and hummus right hummus um they would uh they would cook rice up there one time they slaughtered a goat they walked the goat up the mountain and then slaughtered and made goat just like the old uh, testament it was awesome oh uh, yeah well uh sorry to interrupt you so after you were in the sinai with the you, uh, you said peacekeeping or uh, yeah, the multinational force of right. observers a peacekeeping mission between egypt and israel so i did that for 19 months and that was that was certainly one of the best jobs i've ever had uh, came back from there. I went to Catholic University right across the street here for a year's worth of study in ethics. And then I went to the military police school at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, where I was the ethicist and the regimental chaplain for two years. And then after that, I went to West Point. I was the pastor at West Point. Um, and then back to Fort Bragg to a 20th engineer. So I was there for about a year. And then they, while I was there at Fort Bragg, uh, there was the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. So my chaplain assistant and I and a bunch of people from the unit went down to Haiti to assist with that. Um, then I deployed to Afghanistan for a year, so I was in Kabul most of the time, but had several excursions out to the hinterlands trying to provide Catholic coverage to sites that just had not seen a priest in And what months. was that like, Afghanistan? Oh, well, I was in the capital, so that's city versus, you know, out in the boonies. Um. And a, it was also a relatively secure time in the capital art, just what was going on. Our special forces were really doing a great job of sort of keeping some of the danger down um, in the capital anyway. Um, you get out away from the capital into some, the western part of the country, it's desolate. Flying over it, it's just brown nothingness and then every now and then you'll see a, a river and some some farmland um so i got out west and uh, south a bit um some of the more intense fighting that goes on is sort of in the east closer to the pakistan border so i didn't really head out that way or up north but. and so after that deployment where so after that i went to germany so kaiserslautern germany uh, which was great. I mean, Germany is just a great place to to live. So it was a great job. I uh, worked for a great chaplain, a great um, commander, a great two-star commander. I did that for two years and then was selected for colonel, so that's uh, my current rank now, and went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where I was the senior chaplain at Fort Sill. I had about 33 chaplains in the religious program that I was supervising. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I knew the... Um, the post commander had been my Devardi commander back at Fort Bragg uh, many years ago. And I knew a couple of people out there. So did that for two years and then came to West Point. This is my last assignment here. And you're still colonel? Right. And I'll remain a colonel. That's just where I'm staying. All right. Now, one question I've got to ask you, Father Palikowski, is a couple of years ago, uh, the Army and Navy game. Uh, Army had not defeated Navy in... Over 10 Four, years? 14 years. 14 years. Yeah. And so someone um, took a happy snap, if we can call it that, of you on the sidelines in the last uh, minutes of that game saying the rosary as the uh, uh, as Army uh, took the lead and held on to it and, and defeated Navy for the first time in, in 14 years. Um is that something you do every game? Do you say the rosary every game, or was it just that one? No, I say the rosary at every single game that our football plays. So I'm one of the chaplains to the football team, and I'm the Catholic chaplain 
the football team. Our coach, Coach Jeff Munkin, is a super guy. I love the guy. And he's really concerned about the development of our players in all aspects of their life. He's concerned about football and winning football, but he is really concerned about helping these young guys grow into just great men. And part of that is he says to players, you know, if, if religious practice was a part of your life, keep doing it. You know, and since he says that, and since the Army talks about you know, the spiritual pillar of the person, and West Point talks about that, he says, well, if I'm going to say that, I have to make it possible. So he puts religious services into the schedule uh, for home games and away games. They're optional, but, but there's nothing else competing with them. You know, so he puts his money where his mouth is. You know, and where I think the Army says we're supposed to put our mouths. So anyway, great guy. So every game, uh, the morning of the game, I'll say mass for the Catholics on the team that want to come. And then at the game, you know, coach has a, one of coach's phrases is, do your job. Everybody has a job to do. Do your job. If everybody does their job, we win. So I'm the chaplain, so my job is to pray. So, so every single game I pray for the team, and specifically I pray the rosary. And for the Army-Navy game, I pray the entire, all four mysteries of the rosary, so one per quarter. Um, so yeah, that was nothing unusual. Now, um, it was the fourth quarter in that game, and uh, a cadet saw me standing there sort of watching the game. His name was Matt Kaufman, one of our Catholic guys, great guy. And he said, hey, Chaplain, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching the game. He says, well, you should be praying. I said, oh, you know, you're right. I hadn't prayed my rosary yet for that quarter. Um, now, it was an exciting game at that point, and we already had good momentum. Things were looking good for us. But if I'm going to pray, I, I think it's my job to pray and not watch the game and sort of squeeze in the prayer. So, um, so I sort of dropped back to where I thought I was unobtrusive and, uh, and dropped my knees to pray because I, there's a lot of reasons I pray for the game. But the, um, the guy who caught me, and I, I feel badly. I want to make sure I get his name right. I'm pretty sure it was Benny Goodman, and he writes for um, um, Independent Journal Review, maybe. But anyway, he's the one that just noticed me and bothered to take pictures, and then he interviewed me after the game. And what I thought was really great about him doing that is that he, ha- he already had an idea in his head that you know, I, was doing, I was doing what I was doing. But he was contrasting that with another thing that was going on in the country with um, Colin Kaepernick and you know, other players kneeling to protest, you know, kneeling during the national anthem to protest what they see as injustices in our country. Um, so his, his headline was, there was somebody kneeling at the Army-Navy game, but not for the reasons you might think, which I thought was a great angle. And um, it turned out to be a eye-catching and it was just... Um, Provocative in the sense that it, it, people were talking about it, and it was it was a useful thing. So, yeah. no, certainly noteworthy in the context of how many players are setting out the national anthem. Um, what do you say to folks who say, "Well, that's kind of trivial to pray over a ball game"? Well, you know, I'm going to take a line from Bishop Robert Barron, who's got a CD on Catholic Lighthouse Media called. I think it's called the YouTube heresies. But he started uh, you know, posting these talks about the faith, and 90% of the people that sort of reply to these things are hostile, which he likes because he says, well, good, these are people that I want to talk to. 
uh, and he gets to speak back. But one of the things he says is a problem today is people have a radically insufficient idea of God. And I would, I would connect to that. People have a radically insufficient idea of what prayer is. So prayer is not magic. My words don't make God do what I want him to do. Uh, but in my prayer, I am speaking to a God who knows me, loves me, is concerned about me, and I can ask God for anything I want aside from sin or evil. Um, and so when I make things known to the God who loves me, I just let it go. I, it's, it's not some effort to control God. These are the things that are on my life. These are the things that I'm concerned about right now. I lift them up to you, uh, and I leave them in your hands to do as you see fit. Uh, and so really, in, in the Christian life, the Lord's Prayer, um, thy will be done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's such, so much the heart of mature prayer that we accept what God the Father gives us and we trust that anything he gives us is good. So we can certainly ask him for whatever we want and I'm fine with whatever he gives. So I can pray for Cindy who has cancer and I can pray for a football game and children can pray for a lot of candy on Halloween. God is not offended by any of that. Uh, and we got a great headline out of that for our uh I say we, I'm talking about the Archdiocese for the Military Services quarterly magazine called Salute. And uh, we did a story using that picture, Army Beats Navy on Hail Mary, uh, which was apropos, I thought, uh, <laughs> considering that the Hail Mary pass has become uh, a uh, kind of a, a last-ditch effort in, in uh, football. Was that a Boston College game or a, or a Notre Dame game? There was, I, I, remember <laughs> sure. when, I remember when that became a, a Phrase <laughs> and it's now part of the uh, common vernacular. Um, but for our Protestant friends who may be listening, uh, you know, there's always been this uh, uh, puzzlement, I suppose, about uh, our devotion to the Blessed Mother, the uh, Mother of Christ, the Virgin Mary. Um, maybe, uh, and, and when I talked to you on the telephone when I was writing that article for Salute, you had a, a really good. Uh, explanation about that how it is that we as catholics pray through uh, mary to jesus explain that again if you would sure yeah um well again it's, it's always helpful to explain what we don't mean because usually that's a problem um so first and foremost there's not a catholic in the world i challenge you to find one that thinks mary is god Find me a Catholic who thinks Mary created the world and was eternally existed. There's not one, right? So when I say God, I mean the eternal being who has always existed. Uh, Mary is a creature. So just first and foremost, that's Catholic mentality. She's a privileged creature. Um, God chose her. In, in the divine plan, before all things were created, it was his intention to make her the mother of Jesus Christ, and because Jesus Christ is God, she is the mother of God. So a lofty title. In fact, I had a discussion with a pastor one time. You called her mother of God. How is that? Well, 
Jesus is God, yes, and she's his mother. There you go. So, um, but there's a the other thing that's useful is to realize that we are both probably using the word prayer in a different way. Generally speaking, when Protestants use the word prayer, I think they always mean it to use the word that we use for worship or adoration. I like the word worship better than adoration, but uh, worship is a kind of prayer. There's many different kinds of prayer, but worship is a kind of prayer that belongs to God alone. And I never offer that kind of worship to any creature. To, to worship God is to acknowledge that God is God. But there's many other kinds of prayer that I offer both to God, but I offer to other people here on earth. Um, a prayer of thanks, a prayer of love, a prayer of petition, asking for things, intercession, asking someone to ask for me. There's many other kinds of prayer. Those kinds of prayer are appropriate to other human beings here on earth or those who have died and are alive in heaven or even for the angels. So to, when we say pray, we mean speak to uh, not all of our prayer is worship. Much of our prayer is just speaking to. Um, and then, I guess one other thing that's a common confusion is, uh, well, people say, well, the saints are dead. But Jesus addressed this question when the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, uh, tried to disprove the resurrection. And Jesus used the Torah to respond to their question about God on Mount Sinai when he was speaking to Moses said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was. And so those who are alive in God are, in fact, alive. So my prayer to Mary or to the angel of the saints is it's simple. I go to my grandma or my mom or my dad or my brother, anyone else that loves me, and I know that they love God, and I ask them to pray. It's the exact same thing when we go to the saints, and especially... Mary, the mother of God. So, Understood. Well, I feel like we could talk on and on, but uh, we've already gone over our time. So, uh, Father Matthew Polakowski, Colonel Polakowski, thank you so much for talking with me today. And uh, best of luck to you up at uh, West Point. How much longer are you going to be there? Is, are you going to be there till you retire? Well, you know, Taylor, none of us know how long any of us are going to be anywhere, but it looks Fairly likely that I'll be there until I retire, which is a couple more years. Very good. Well, thank you again for talking to me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure.